morning. This is Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras with your host, Dr. John Hunt. This is our monthly show. It used to be called Pet Sounds 2.0. Uh, we, we are here every fourth Thursday at 10 a.m. Uh, today's show is being taped because we're planning on uh, airing this program on Thanksgiving morning. And if, uh, if this is the case, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. And I hope everyone's going to have a good time with their families. Today I have a, uh, a friend, an old friend, uh, Mr. Brad Allen. He and I went with our children overseas in Europe when they were in eighth grade, and we were roommates together. And one of the things that uh, I always remember is when we were going on the bus down to Boston, he started uh, looking at the fields and uh, talking about turkeys. And I never forgot that. And this is, what, 17 years later, and I called him on it. So, uh, Mr. Brad Allen, Brad, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Good. I'm glad you could come. So today we're going to talk about turkey restoration in the state of Maine. I think a lot of you uh, out there have probably seen turkeys in their backyards, on the roads, and especially this last five, six years, it's been a, a fantastically successful program, and uh, Brad has been an integral part of it. So we're going to uh, see how this all came about. So first, uh, as I do with all my guests, I'd like to have you tell us how you got here from there. Thank you, John. Uh, my name is Brad Allen. I'm a wildlife biologist with the Maine Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife. I've worked for this organization for between 35 and 40 years. I've uh, forgotten exactly how many years. It's been a long time. I'm the bird group leader, which means I'm in charge of the department's bird conservation program. And uh, we do all birds, and turkeys are just one of 450 that live in species that live in Maine. So, so you're you're busy. Yeah, we're <laughs> we I have a very very knowledgeable staff that deals with a lot of different bird issues, and uh, maybe we can get to that a little bit later. But today we'll talk about one of Maine's largest birds, the wild turkey. Where did you go to school? I went to the University of Maine many many years ago. I grew up in southern Maine in Harpswell, and I went to Orono and got a degree in wildlife management. And I uh, was working with the department's bear program at the time, and I translated that into a master's program at the University of Montana in Missoula, Montana, but always born and raised here in Maine. I knew I was coming back just as soon as I graduated and came back and, and got involved in the department's uh, game bird program at the time. So you didn't do any bear work in Maine? Uh, just my graduate work, and uh, a couple years afterwards continued to... Uh, do what Randy Cross does, uh, do the bear den work and all, and then I turn the reins over to him, and he's done it for the last 30 years. So when you started um, working here in the bird, with the birds, which bird world, what were you doing first? Was Mostly uh, our program back then in the late 70s was, was very, uh, very focused on game birds, uh, as were a lot of wildlife programs around the country then. So I, I did a lot of work with waterfowl, and uh, which is kind of a personal hobby, professional uh, preference of mine. And uh, American woodcock was another bird that we managed back then. But in the 1980s, uh, the department... Uh, embraced all bird, all all game, all non-game management. So we picked up uh, non-game birds, 
uh, as part of our responsibility in the 80s, and uh, that just opened the floodgates to endless opportunities to study different bird things, whether it's a bald eagle or common loon or a hunted species. Do you work with the federal government? We do on migratory bird issues, uh, birds that are passing through Maine. While they're in Maine, they're our responsibility, but in the bigger picture, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh, is the ultimate authority on a lot of migratory birds. Wild turkeys are not migratory, so uh, that management rests solely with my agency. And uh, endangered birds, yeah. uh, do you work with the federal government with endangered? Because we do, do the feds kind of come into the state and, and help? Yeah, we we work collaboratively with them on, on many, many issues. I uh, I work on some piping plover issues with a staff member, uh, roseate terns, golden eagles, peregrine falcons. That's interesting. Yeah, it's it's there's a lot of work to do. There's no end to uh, what we could do. Oh, it makes your it makes your yeah. job exciting. It does, and that, as a wildlife biologist, you know, I could have perhaps been a bear biologist all my life, just focusing on on one species, but. Uh, I prefer to work in the bird world because there's so much I don't know, and I still like to learn even at 61. <laughs> <laughs> Only 61, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk turkey. Yeah. Um, the turkey is, uh, as I say, has become phenomenally uh, prevalent in our in our state. And uh, Absolutely. And I just remember you saying that <laughs> many years ago. So how did the um, – well, first of all, let's talk about turkeys themselves, and yeah. we'll get into how the restoration started. Yeah. Uh, some of the, you know, how long do they live and mm -hmm. what are some of the features of turkeys, some of their behavior? Just give us some background on turkeys. Well, they're a pretty amazing game bird. Uh, they can exceed 20 pounds. The, the adult male can get that big. Females much smaller. They don't live probably as long as, as one might expect. Uh, a three-year-old turkey is, is starting to get up there in age. Uh, um, there are there are uh, references to 10-year-old turkeys sometime. Of course, in biology, there's always those outliers that live a long time. But they turn over pretty fast. It's a, a pretty prolific species. It has a lot of young. Uh, there's a lot of mortality uh, right out of the egg uh, for the first few weeks of a, of a little turkey's life, a poult, they're called. And um, this is a time of year where you're seeing large groups of turkeys you have all the hens in the area with with their collective poults they they get together they're very social they like to be in groups and safety in numbers and as you mentioned uh, they're doing very very well here in maine and in the bucksport orland area they're doing exceptionally well of course we travel you and i travel these roads every day and I saw two flocks on the way here today just from my house, and I live 10 miles away. So, so what you're seeing today in summer is usually yeah. hens with the poults. Hens with their young, and uh, the, the males tend to form these bachelor groups. Behaviorally, they stay away from the hens and the young. It, it's Mother Nature's way of, of keeping the birds from competing with each other for what might be limited food or, or whatnot. So the males are off. In the woods, probably, you know, they are woodland creatures, even though we see them in fields all the time and on golf courses and airports and everything else, looking for high-protein crickets and grasshoppers right now. They, uh, you know, they are a true woodland bird. So like the open forests? Yeah. Open. Rather, rather than the thick underbrush? Yeah, they they will use the thick. That's the beauty of turkeys, of what people really don't understand. We I get... Uh, you know they're out competing rough grouse in Maine. They're doing this. They're out competing deer. The the 
secret to their success is that they can live almost anywhere. We we talk about rough grouse habitat in Maine. Well, that's a young, vigorously growing hardwood forest. Well, turkeys can live in golf courses and backyards and woods and fields and dairy farms. They just... They're so adaptable to lots of different habitats. They, they're thriving on Maine's landscape. So where do they usually uh, sleep at night? Well, they roost in trees. They spend the night up in trees, which is uh, a predator avoidance. There are a lot of things that like to eat wild turkeys. And uh, so they'll fly up into a tree, and uh, we'll spend the night up there as a group. And they're still vulnerable. We've We've lost turkeys to great horned owls at night where they'll knock a 20 pound you know a two pound great horned owl might knock a 20 pound turkey right out of the right out of the roost and kill them and um, we've had fishers we think back in the days when we had radios on turkeys we think we lost some to fishers in the at, at night but most of the predation probably occurs during the day on the ground coyotes and yeah coyotes foxes I, I had an interesting occasion this spring hunting i had i was hunting right on my own property and i had a, a decoy out and i was half awake half asleep and i looked up and i saw a coyote sneaking along the edge of my field and he he like a linebacker made a a beeline for my my decoy and tackled it and <laughs> got a little he, surprised he got surprised and <laughs> shook, shook off and looked embarrassed and went away it's kind of it's Turkey hunting in the spring can can bring about a lot of interesting things because you're out making the sound like a turkey and you might call a predator in. It's very common. So we'll diverge a little bit into yeah. this hunting yeah. thing because yeah. um, now we can hunt turkeys. So there's two hunting seasons? There are. There's a spring and a fall hunting season. And the genesis of the whole turkey restoration program was to restore wild turkeys to Maine, a species that was here in the, in the early colonial days of the 1700s. Best we can tell from our readings is that they probably persisted up until about the time Maine became a state. About 1820, they were still reporting them in Scarborough, Scarborough Marsh. And But what happened back in the 1800s was pretty extensive land clearing because people needed pasture. They needed places to, to grow crops. And, and so the habitat changed along the Maine coast a great deal back then and it made it less suitable for wild turkeys and and of course they would be hunting them year round and and eating them year round so their numbers came to zero they were extirpated until uh until restoration efforts uh, began um in maine we had the we have the good fortune of of everybody else to our west trying to restore turkeys before us so we we learned a lot from from their successes and their and their failures so our program kind of hit the ground running because of all the all the work that had been done before us in other states and and several of those states were responsible for us getting turkeys in the first place but early efforts at restoration were, were with a a game farm variety of wild turkeys that were raised in captivity and uh, all those efforts everywhere they tried them were unsuccessful because you're putting essentially uh, a domestic turkey out on the landscape that didn't have the wherewithal to su- to survive in a predator-rich environment. So uh, the key to turkey restoration was somebody figured out a way to catch truly wild birds from the it could have been in the mountaintops of the Appalachians for all I know and and they moved those birds into new areas, and so it's those truly wild birds is the ones that uh, were responsible for restoration. And uh, 
we get our truly wild birds from the state of Vermont in 1977. They, their program was going well. Their numbers were good, and out of their uh, benevolence, they gave us uh, 41 wild turkeys that started our program in 1977. Did you have any idea if relocating was going to be a uh, uh, a problem because of behavior and uh, confusion by the turkeys or yeah. not adjusting? We thought they would be winter limited here, and um, where turkeys have trouble uh, surviving and and thriving is usually in the high mountains where you have lots of snow and very deep powdery snow in the winter. They're ground feeders for the most part, so they have to be down on the ground scratching around for food. And we, you know, if I, all I could think of was in the mountains of Vermont, on top of a, a mountain outside of Rutland with two feet of snow on the ground, Turkey is definitely going to flounder, and that's where where they have winter problems. So we thought, from based on what we learned from other states, is that the snow depth would be critical for them. So we drew a line of of eighty inches of snow across the the main landscape, and it's from. Freiburg to Lewiston to Bangor to Vanceboro or something. We thought, okay, turkeys will do well below this 80-inch line. Well, what I think we underestimated back then is, one, how resourceful these animals are and how, how tough they are. But uh, uh, what I soon came to realize is, is two things. One is we rarely have two feet of powdery snow persisting on the on the main landscape. We usually have a thaw or a rain that creates a crust that turkeys could get up on. So, so they don't have to flounder around in two feet of snow and and uh, and deal with that because I think our snow conditions change so quickly here in Maine. The other thing that we didn't anticipate was how much birds would visit people's backyards and supplement their diet with. Uh, black oil seed <laughs> they, they they readily accept the handouts and a lot of people really enjoyed seeing them so that probably got them through in the very beginning just as an aside on this uh yep. that the feeding mm-hmm. in the backyard mm-hmm. some claim that the uh feeding increases the uh transmission of disease and predator uh, problems is that a is that a problem or is yeah, that just a that's old true lifestyle? no that's true in bird feeding in general there are two schools of thought I I, I feed birds year round because I like to see birds year round but uh, in the summertime birds probably don't need bird seed supplements there's plenty of natural food out there and as you say it does you know if you have a bird feeder that's uh, it could have salmonella or something like that artificially concentrating a lot of small birds into an area where they could get disease or they could be uh, vulnerable to a to a hawk or something flying through it's it's part of summer bird feeding and we certainly encourage people if they're going to feed in the summer to be vigilant with uh with the way they treat their bird feeders so, so you you're not saying don't feed the turkeys. Uh, we do say don't feed the oh, turkeys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for for asking that. But uh, you know, I like seeing turkeys every day, and uh, you know, I have the general black oil seed tube feeders feeding chickadees and goldfinches right now, and the turkeys are happy to to pick up the scraps on the bottom, you know, that fall out of those bird feeders. So, so I know some people throw out craft corn yeah. for the turkey. Yeah. This especially in the winter time I think people 
people really love wildlife in Maine, and I certainly can't hold it against them. But you, know, you really have to weigh the benefits with the with the negatives of of feeding wildlife and. And in general, as a department, we don't encourage it because it's one, it's not necessary, and two, it it does lead to some issues that you can avoid. And you think there's greater predation too in the winter time, uh, or even in the summer when they're when you have seeds out in the summer. Yeah, there's uh, you know if you watch a turkey, they uh, their eyes are on the side of their head. That's another thing about just the way they perceive the world. They uh, their eyesight is allegedly three times more keen than than ours, but the their eyes are on the side of the head, so they can't see forward very well, and they don't have good binocular vision for that reason. So they're constantly turning their head to try to figure out the field, the the depth of field that a coyote might be sneaking up, and they're they're. I don't consider them a terribly intelligent bird, but they are certainly as wary as it comes, and it's. Uh, so that's why they look kind of goofy with yeah. that the head turning because they do. they're they're constantly constantly <laughs> they're kind yeah. Of, duh, duh, duh. yeah and, and, they, and they talk a lot you know they they're very social and they they call to each other constantly and I think most of it well some of it is is a pecking order if it's a bunch of young males that are always trying to be the top dog they're always always dealing with that but the hens are always talking to their young and I think most of the time it's uh, you know it's safe it's safe it's safe it's safe Ooh. That bird that just flew over is a blue jay. He's not going to eat you, you know. So it's uh, they're they're an interesting bird to watch, and that's why I enjoy them around my house. Is just watching their behaviors, watching their antics. And they have good well, hearing too, hear. right? As I understand, yeah, very, very good hearing. hearing. They can hear another turkey, you know, half a mile away easily, wow. and you know they're. And one interesting thing about the hearing, I don't know the physiology behind it, but allegedly they have an ability to to really home in on where that call or where that sound came from. They can pinpoint that with a lot of accuracy and go to it if they choose. Wow. So I don't know. I kind of lost you a little bit on our restoration efforts if – you want me to summarize that a little bit? Yes, just a minute. I just yeah. want to identify this. Uh, we yeah. are on WERU 89.9 in Orland. This is Let's Talk Animals, Artbarks to Zebras <laughs> with Dr. John Hunt, your host. And we have Brad Allen, a wildlife biologist in the state of Maine who was involved with turkey restoration. So we're talking turkey on Thanksgiving. Yep. So, yes, give us a little Very more evolution of this restoration. Yeah. So I can I can do that in five minutes or less. We... Uh, we decided that the department would get involved in a restoration, so we located birds from Vermont, and we got 41 birds from uh, the state of Vermont, and they released them in in York County in an area where we thought there was really good turkey habitat, plus mild winters uh, being near the coast that had not so much snow as Moosehead Lake. And uh, so those those birds were put on the ground there, and they they flourished as we had hoped what was the habitat that you were looking at that york provided yeah that's a good question what we were looking for back then was a lot of uh, a lot of woodlands that produced mast you know whether it be beech nuts or oak because we know that that's a critical winter food for a lot of maine wildlife but uh, where it's where it's abundant uh, is there's plenty of acorns for everybody so we were looking for for that kind of habitat but where the birds all seem to migrate, you could put them, you can put them on the ground here, but they're going to go where they want to go, obviously. And and they landed on uh, what few dairy farms were still around. The 
All the habitat associated with a main dairy farm seems to be ideal for turkeys and probably in the wintertime as, as much as anything, the critical period. But, you know, there's pastures, there's cropland, there's woodlots, there's everything a wild turkey needs. And so, food around by yeah, the barns. Food around the barns, trench silos created problems, spread manure in the wintertime has undigested corn that uh, gets put out on the field in the wintertime. So, and during that critical critical period where food isn't isn't abundant so uh it's the the success of the program you know probably fell on the landowner as much as anything back then tolerating these these new critters on their landscape and turkey numbers did pretty well in the late 70s early 80s we in 1982 uh the biologists at the time moved some birds to waldo county and uh, the town of waldo and created another restoration site from which birds could uh, the numbers could improve and so being that i was at the university of maine or our office was in bangor at the time we started studying this waldo county population and and it really wasn't flourishing it was persisting but it wasn't flourishing and uh, so we thought perhaps and i'm not a geneticist by any stretch but we thought perhaps they could use a shot in the arm with some some new new genes from out of state and uh, i worked with the state of connecticut to get 70 more turkeys so so in total we have 41 birds from vermont and 70 from Connecticut equals 111 birds, and uh, we now have 50,000. So <laughs> they <laughs> did busy. pretty well. <laughs> they did pretty well. So when you're when you're putting these birds in, yeah. you said that landowners were yeah. were just as important. Did you yeah. actually work with them, talk with them, yeah. discuss what you're yeah. trying to do, and I yeah, mean, what, we, what kind of things that you? We actually did have a lot of on the ground conversations with landowners because some farmers that didn't really like to have 30 turkeys in their trench silo eating their cow's food would tell their farmer friends, you know, if the state ever wants to put turkeys there, don't, you know, they didn't encourage it. So, so we had to, we had to work with a lot of landowners and we found pretty quickly that most, most of these landowners enjoyed seeing turkeys for the first time. They enjoyed seeing 10 turkeys. They enjoyed seeing 20 turkeys, but they didn't like to see 50 turkeys or a hundred (laughs) turkeys. And, and so we quickly developed a, a nuisance turkey program to to try to uh, you know help these guys out and what what that became is our trap and transfer program if you've got a a farmer that has reached his tolerance of 50 birds on his property if we went in and took 25 of them and moved them 20 20 miles up the coast to another what we thought was a good release site uh, that allowed our, our turkey program to grow sequentially that way. So we used this overabundance to continue to restore and restock turkeys. So the turkeys have, uh, for instance, like the fox populations that go every seven years, yeah. depending on the um, the mouse population. Right. Uh, do they cycle, or do they also have a limit when they have a crowding? Do their yeah. uh, do their number of eggs go down? Uh, all good some, questions. Some species do that. A couple of yeah. When they reach the carrying capacity, we start to see see issues that there are too many, and and that's uh, a very good point because I'm keeping an eye out for for various diseases that, and we had a virus that affected our turkey population in uh, 2012, 
and that might have been a, a, a signal from Mother Nature that the population is a little too dense, and, and oftentimes Mother Nature will come in and and something like a, a disease might run rampant through a population it'll thin it out so it's self-regulating in that regard and and then the only in my 30 years of studying turkeys have i seen that happen once and and it was 2012 and and there were a lot of birds on the landscape so there are some issues there they don't cycle uh in response to uh to food, like availability. A, a food availability issue like lemmings and and whatnot but their populations do certainly wane and ebb based on how successful they are at producing every year if you have a a wet year uh, and and production is poor you know you obviously have a dip in the population and if you have several bad springs in a row then the population will go down pretty markedly and that's what's happened in new york state recently here we New York was is a premier wild turkey population, but they're really cutting back in their in their hunting opportunities because their population is going down, and and they believe it was because of ten successive years of poor reproduction. And uh, so I watch the weather in May a lot more than I probably should because if it's rainy like this last May, I get very depressed, and because uh, I know that bird production is going to be going to be less or reduced and. So I'm watching the watching the number of young birds and the and the brood flocks I'm seeing this year within the back of my mind, knowing that May conditions were not stellar for for wild turkeys. They were actually poor because we had more rain than average. But uh, June and July were droughty, and uh, those birds that did hatch complete broods seem to have have done very well. So. They they hatch one brood a year. Typically, uh, you know, they don't double brood. Uh, what what they do, what happens a lot with game birds is they'll lay a, a clutch and uh, and hopefully incubate it for 28 days or so. If they lose that clutch to a skunk or a raccoon, they'll they'll re-nest if they're physically strong enough, and most of them are. They'll re-nest and they'll try again. And what we often see is young little little young turkeys that are tiny in august but you might see some big turkeys in august that that were the result of the first nest and and the little guys would be the result of a re-nest so it's it all depends on the fitness of the female herself but it's mother nature's kind of insurance card to make sure that there are some young out there as to have this capability to re-nest so the the wet May yeah. is the wet weather yeah. uh, bad for the young poults yeah. because they get chilled. Yeah, is it, that, is if, that what it if is? they hatch in a rain event like that, they're very very prone to hypothermia. But you know, it's it's kind of it's very interesting, delicate kind of balance. And if you've got brand new chicks and it rains two inches of rain on May twenty eighth, mother can usually take care of those. But as those chicks get a little bigger and they become pigeon size and it rains you can't brood all of those so the guys on the outside might get a little wetter than than you would want and they could succumb to hypothermia but the other factor that plays in here that you know it's just total wild card is that predators are a lot more efficient at finding turkeys and baby turkeys when it's wet because the sending conditions are much much better uh-huh. and, yeah okay. it's kind of a you know, they did a study of this in New York, and uh, it's called the wet hen theory or whatever. Is when uh, you know when predation on the on a nesting hen. If you want to impact a population, you want to 
kill that hen on her eggs and so she produces absolutely none and she's not around to produce in the future so if if a fox or a bobcat finds a a wettish hen on her nest in in may then then you'll see a population dip a little bit so the um predate so the predations mainly the young the older turkeys don't get killed off as not so much as much yeah they uh so if you just, make it through the poult stage, or yeah, that the the first couple of weeks is critical. We probably lose half of the poults in the first couple of weeks. And I've watched this group at my house, and uh, there are four hens and fifteen young. So uh, you know, one of the hens might have produced twelve of those, and the other hen might have produced three, and the other two hens might have totally failed. But I have four hens with uh, fifteen young. It's almost four four babies per for female which is a pretty good ratio but i've watched them since june and they're still 15 so uh oh, that's pretty it, good yeah when i first saw them they were they'd, they'd gotten by the, the most difficult part and they're still hanging in there now a couple of years ago we had just an unbelievable acorn yeah here. i mean i yeah. two years ago i think it was two years ago i couldn't yeah. even walk on my lawn yeah it was like a carp of, of acorns. Did that influence the? Um, well, that certainly would help them. The have that you seen year. anything? Uh, or is it hard to tell? Hard for us to tell. We don't monitor, you know, survivorship in the winter. We're going to maybe in the future here with some radioed birds, but right now, uh, it's mostly just conjecture that if you have a big mass crop like that, at least there's, there's going to be plenty of food around. And some of the naysayers of turkeys in the state of Maine. You know, really think that the turkeys outcompete deer for acorns, and uh, as you point out, when there's a when there's an acorn year, there's there's definitely enough to go around, and there's still acorns on the ground now. They don't eat them all, so. So do you, do you think uh, some of these naysayers uh, have some point about the deer relationship with the deer and turkey? Well, you know the the fact that turkeys are impacting white-tailed deer or grouse is probably terribly overstated it's there's you know there's turkeys and grouse and white-tailed deer everywhere in north america practically it's never an exclusionary thing but there's one one scenario that one of my neighbors told me that uh kind of came home as hey okay this is this is true is he hunts deer uh, near my house in november and his favorite tree stand is right next to an apple tree in the woods, an old overgrown apple tree, which produces lots of apples. And he says the turkeys have cleaned up all the apples you know, by the 1st of November. So there's no sense for him really sitting there in his deer stand over an apple tree that's not producing any apples because the turkeys have eaten them all. So I thought, well, okay, that guy's got a point. It, it's affecting his deer hunting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really one is. person. Yeah, you, yeah. Can't, you can't argue with so that. I couldn't argue with that one, but... <laughs> There's so, enough food to go around. Uh, you mentioned a virus. Yeah. Was that identified? Yeah, it was a virus that actually... Being a veterinarian, I have to, yeah. I have oh, yeah. to ask. <laughs> yeah, I wished I knew more about it. It was like an avian pox. Ah, okay. And uh, this particular virus had been identified in Europe um, many years ago, and it hadn't showed up in the United States until uh, 2009, I think. And, and so... A lot of states from uh, Georgia to Maine were were experiencing a lot of these birds with these lesions on their head. They have no feathers on their head, and uh, when they have a scabby poxy lesion on it, it's very obvious. And some of them were bad enough to 
to grow over the eyes such as the birds couldn't see and uh, certainly a hunter if a hunter shot one he would think it almost inedible but uh, that's not the not the case but it was a, a virus that uh, kind of swept through the population pretty quickly and we were still moving turkeys uh, into areas of Maine that don't have turkeys like Rooster County and because of this virus we decided to quit moving birds because we didn't want to move uh you know a viral disease into an area that might not have it we didn't want to be responsible for that spread and uh, so but it's been four or five years now and we're not seeing very much of it but it's very avian pox like but and no one's really decided to get anything in terms of um Specifically, what the virus is? Oh, just they not... know what it is. Its name is longer than oh, bo- so both the... of my arms. Like, <laughs> okay, L P V something virus. It's, uh, uh, I'll, I'll put you on the. Yeah, I can't remember <laughs> I it. I... It's okay. Uh, one thing I heard, I, I mentioned that I was going to have you on the show. Yep. Someone, someone I was talking to. So, did you know that the turkeys? that were introduced in Maine were from South America. So these really aren't true turkeys. And I started reading to get prepared for you, and I yeah. read about the Vermont thing. You just said Vermont. Yeah. So where did that uh, old wise tale come from? Which one? That the turkeys are actually from, from, from South, South America? America. Yeah. Have you heard that? Uh, I can almost imagine that. <laughs> you know, horses out west are probably from South America, too. I There are uh, several subspecies of turkeys uh, you know, in the United States, and but you—I don't know. I, but you, uh, but you took—you got your turkeys from Vermont. Yeah, we got our turkeys from Vermont. So they're from South, South America. We don't know. It was a long time ago. Okay, would <laughs> so, be my guess. Okay, you know, I, I just want to dispel that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, uh, I think they're they're genuinely native. You know, and they've been here historically. Yep. For you know, hundreds of years anyway, and probably longer. They've, I'm sure, there are fossil records of turkeys and caves and whatnot from thousands of years. But any other diseases that they get? Uh, we've, they're amazingly disease-free. Uh, we're very concerned about having a a big bird like a turkey out in somebody's pasture next to a big poultry. Uh, farm or something and there are some diseases like blackhead and and all that the turkeys get that domestic turkeys can get too but to my knowledge we've never had any transmission we had a i had a coccidiosis case where a farmer lost a calf to coccidiosis and research and he had turkeys around so he blamed the turkeys which is probably logical and uh you know i researched that a little bit and found out that Mammal coccidiosis is different than avian coccidiosis. Very, very species-specific. <laughs> exactly. Actually, species, there's specific species within the intestinal tract yeah. that different species go in different parts of the intestinal tract. Yeah, so, you know, I think there was a turkey flock showed up in Waldo County somewhere, and some sheep died, and they, they blamed the turkeys. It turned out to be bad grain. Oh, yeah, it's kind of the interesting thing about turkeys is so... You know they do cause some some problems in some places. We here is a game species like deer, bear, moose, and uh, we've actually done surveys of our of the general public and hunters and all. And there's a 
a pretty significant group of people that would like to see fewer turkeys on the on the main landscape and you know i'm i'm a hunter i'm a bird hunter and i just duck hunter uh, you know just more is better for me always <laughs> that <laughs> makes sense yeah, i'm a hunter i want to see more more game but uh i haven't heard anyone complain about seeing turkey everyone's delighted to see turkeys yeah, i'm glad glad you say that because we every year in the main legislature we have to provide testimony for certain bills that uh, really want to annihilate turkeys have been blamed for lyme disease transmission uh, yes they were there's yeah. some issue about them carrying ticks yeah. is that uh, true or? well we've actually looked at that and other states have looked at that and and while a deer tick could take a ride on a turkey and and some some of these crazy tick-borne diseases do seem to be pushed around by birds migratory birds uh, you know it's it's rare it's almost i didn't believe that a deer tick would ever go on a turkey but i've been corrected on that and that it could possibly but uh you know these ticks are looking for mammals most of the time They're yeah really looking they, they for like birds. the mice they yeah. want the mice and i guess right. the 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 increase in mouse populations past years has been the cause of increased uh, ticks and Lyme. I'm very concerned about Lyme disease. I have some friends crippled by it, like most people in Maine know somebody with Lyme disease. Yes. And I you know, was wondering, what do I do around my house? Do I get guinea hens and hope they eat all the ticks off my lawn? Or, or do I just trap all the mice i possibly can <laughs> you know, uh, i think both, it's the squirrels both. at my feet are that squirrels probably too. i'm more con should be more concerned about certainly birds will carry ticks but uh well no. one of my uh, one of my sunday pet sounds yeah addresses this what you do at your house yeah. so look up yeah. my archives good because it does will. there are some things you can do to decrease uh yeah uh, habitat yeah for the ticks like right. gravel a gravel yeah. um uh, area around your house, yep. things like that. Yep. So all makes sense. So you can you look on my pet sounds. I will. <laughs> Very good. Um, cars, cars hit turkeys. We're talking about safety. Yeah. First, first of all, just I'm backtrack a little bit. Okay. So turkeys aren't really a huge concern about passing diseases to people. No, I. Uh, okay, so that's something that yeah. the, that our listeners you know, can. And, tur and turkeys have been, you know, they've been in Maine since '77, which is for 30, 40 years, but they've been on the east coast you know forever and uh, it's not like we're unique up here in maine and something novel would happen with the turkey population and, and disease i mean they've we've they've been around and uh, they're they're pretty clean that's good to know canada wanted uh, new brunswick is very interested in getting wild turkeys started and uh they're very very concerned about disease issues and they've looked into it a lot because there's a lot of I think there's a lot of poultry over in New Brunswick, and they half of the country wants turkeys, the other half doesn't. And they've looked at the turkey disease transmission. What could we possibly be doing if we bring wild turkeys into New Brunswick? And to the best of my knowledge, they haven't come up with anything that says they shouldn't, but they're getting wild turkeys whether they like it or not from maine they're probably they're coming over on they're their walking own. across <laughs> from st stephen's to the holton if they have passports yeah no passports <laughs> but uh well don't you think the snow is an issue or are they close to the water the ocean so the no, snow is an issue it's more of the i've spoken over there before and uh it's more of the more coastal more like washington county habitat but they have a lot of good farms over there they have good 
good uh, good habitat for for wildlife in general. And I gave a talk over there this summer, and uh, you know there are people in the audience that were blueberry growers and uh, farmers, poultry growers, and they were a tough audience because you know they are very concerned about potential negative effects of turkeys in the province but there are probably more turkeys in new brunswick right now than there were in maine when we had our first hunting season so they, <laughs> so they got them they whether don't they eat. like it or not <laughs> so they don't eat blueberries they do eat blueberries and uh along with a thousand other wildlife species <laughs> okay and the Good bad answer. and the bad part is they eat blueberries during the day when people are around looking because most of the blueberry losses a lot of blueberry losses occur at night to foxes raccoons bears white-tailed deer but you get a group of 20 turkeys out there in the middle of the day and uh, they're guilty you know yeah, you might yeah. find a turkey turkey poop that's totally blue and we actually worked with the university of maine a grad student that looked into uh, the scale of of turkey depredation on uh, on blueberries and it's a very interesting thesis i enjoy it very much and they do eat some some blueberries but she actually found that they spent more time in the fields that were not producing blueberries the fallow fields and we had hoped that they were there trying to get protein in the form form of bugs (laughs) and uh, and we think that's probably true but it's not to say that a turkey's going to pass up a big fat blueberry either and nor will a cedar waxwing or herring gull i mean well, the bear the bear poop yeah, i've seen up yeah, in lubeck yeah in the summer it's yeah. all it's just like a blueberry cobbler yeah it is, it <laughs> you know, is. it's like a, it's, it's amazing it's just all blueberries so yeah, it is and it blackberries is. so but you know we have to be sensitive to this here's a species that we brought to maine so that everybody can view them and a small small component could hunt them but uh, we have to be sensitive to to landowners that have legitimate damage complaints this is WERU 89.9 in Orland. This is uh, Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras with uh, Dr. John Hunt, your host. We're talking with Brad Allen, a wildlife biologist for the state, and we're talking about uh, turkeys right now. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the dangers. There's no health dangers that we can no. see, but there are some uh, problems with cars. Yeah, they're, you know... Uh 20-pound projectile coming at you at 30 miles an hour is always going to be a dangerous. We've, and I don't mean to minimize the risk because, uh, you know, I, they cause a lot of damage and they've injured some people. And that's, we've had a, a man knocked off a motorcycle by one, and I hope he recovered. And uh, a lot of damage to, to the front ends of pickup trucks that equally... Uh, that rise to a thousand dollars very quickly, which is certainly reportable. And uh, it, a little sidelight on uh, on cars and turkeys. When we first started putting turkeys on the ground in the seventies, we know how much these things were worth. We spent a lot of time going out of state getting turkeys, and the going rate for a wild turkey was about five hundred dollars a bird. And uh, so in you know we went to Connecticut and brought back brought back seventy of them. That's you know it's a fair chunk of change. And in the early restoration days, when most people still enjoyed seeing turkeys on the landscape, somebody was videoing out there out their uh, living room window a flock of turkeys crossing the road, and a pickup truck went flying through the flock. And uh, 
you know, the videographer was convinced that this person deliberately ran these turkeys over and he had his license number and everything else. And he ended up in court and he admitted that he didn't slow down and he swerved and he ended up killing four of that group. And the judge contacted the main warden service and how much are these things worth and they're worth 500 bucks a piece <laughs> easy <laughs> he uh, levied a two thousand dollar fine on the guy in a heartbeat but uh and the guy probably thought where did you get that figure yeah exactly so uh so when they're when you have car incidences yeah. are they are they flying across the road trying to get altitude is that usually well, or they yeah. fly into you i mean because they can't see in front of them or? No, i think they could have been spooked from 200 yards away they typically fly fairly low and uh takes them a while to get up it does altitude, doesn't it yeah we have that issue with uh, bald eagles you got a bald eagle on the side of i-95 eating a dead porcupine when a truck or a car comes by a little close when that animal flushes bald eagle in that case they always go right across the road because they need that space to take off yeah and that uh, puts them in in jeopardy uh, very quickly and that could be happening with wild turkeys as well it's i think it's the it's the wild turkey bomber that's coming from several hundred yards across a field across route 46 in bucksport that i would worry about yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> so um this is, uh, I'm sure this is airing during Thanksgiving, so mm-hmm. everyone has, uh, most people have turkeys in the oven right now yep. in the morning. Uh, and some would like a wild turkey for Thanksgiving. So there's a hunting season. Can you explain a little bit why you have the two hunting seasons yeah. and, and what are the criteria yeah. and the rules, regulations, and, and actually hunting a turkey? I hear yeah. it's pretty hard. Uh, it is, but the success rate is quite high. It's 30%. So oh, that's pretty good. That's a very good success rate. We're very proud of that. As you know, you ask a lot with 30 seconds of questions there about our hunting program. <laughs> and uh, just my mind is reeling on which way to go. But, well, first uh, of all, why, why, yeah. um, why do you have a fall yeah. hunting? What's, why do yeah. you set that up? And why do you have yeah. a spring? What's the, yeah. in terms of life cycle? And- well, it's, uh, Traditionally, it's kind of interesting. Most people in Maine would not know this, but traditionally, the hunting season that that uh, Daniel Boone participated in, or or people of that ilk, was a fall season. Most people uh, did hunt them in the fall, and not necessarily in November prior to Thanksgiving. But it was a it was traditionally a fall season, and probably around the fifties. People started realizing that the males are very vulnerable to calls in the spring, and you could hunt male birds in the spring by using a, a very interactive call to a, a bird, and he comes to you and you shoot it, and it's very exciting and uh, it's a lot of fun. And so Maine's first season was was the spring season because while you want your population to grow. Uh, you have to protect the hens, and the the fall season, the hens are legal. In the spring, they aren't. In the, it's essentially a male's bearded bird only hunt in the spring, and a lot of those toms have already bred and done their thing, and they're considered surplus, like a lot of us. And uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so you could take a lot of males out of the population, and your population would still continue to grow. So, we started with a with a very interactive calling spring season 
1977, and the first year we killed nine birds. Last year we killed probably 5,500, so the population's grown quite a bit. And uh, so one of our goals back in the very beginning was to have a huntable population, turkeys where the habitat was suitable and and have a, a modest hunt. If we've been guilty of anything uh, as an agency with our wild turkey program is we've been way too conservative with our hunt plan. We we restricted numbers of people. We restricted areas where it was legal. In uh, hindsight, I think we were overly conservative and the population grew faster than most of us would have expected. And and so when we take, we take criticism for allowing too many turkeys on the landscape and and we're kind of guilty. But our goal at the time was to also have a fall season eventually when the population could support it. And uh, that happened in 2002, I think. Uh, we had our first season. It was only a week long, and it was very small. But in the fall, you can shoot any wild turkey, a male, a female, a young one, an old one. Uh, just any bird is legal. And that's where you have to be a little more careful with with what your population objectives are. If you want the population in a certain area like Hancock County to increase, then you have to be a little more careful of how many hens you allow killed in the fall. In the spring, you can whack away at the males, no problem. But you have to you have to kind of monitor your fall hen kill because that's the goose that's laying the golden egg. So, so we've had... And now the population is still continuing to grow despite... Uh, our hunting, spring hunting and fall hunting. And so we have been charged as an agency with uh, liberalizing the opportunity for hunters to take birds. A hunter now for his turkey license can take four birds, two in the spring and two in the fall, which is pretty generous if you look at other states. Very few have have that many. But uh, we have an interesting group of hunters here in Maine in that we're having trouble in getting more hunters interested in wild turkey hunting. We have a base of about 18,000 hunters, it seems. And as I mentioned earlier, they're about 30% successful. So those of us that hunt in Maine have a very good thing. We have little competition from other hunters, and we have a, a burgeoning turkey population. So some of us, old school kind of people like me, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of mentality, but we have a lot of uh, we're getting a lot of pressure to try to recruit more hunters, which is difficult sometimes, and take more birds. So uh, you know we're we're looking at ways to to get people hunting, especially in the fall, and and having them shoot more birds. So to keep the population a little bit more in check. So but, I, I did read that the yeah. number of hunters have decreased. And what is yeah. do you have any theory? Uh, a little. Uh, it was interesting in the beginning, back in the 70s and uh, 80s, I mean, when the hunt was on in 86, we actually had a lottery where... Like the moose? Yeah, it's kind of like the moose lottery. Only your chance of getting drawn was a lot better than the moose lottery. But we had a lottery, and we had more people interested in turkey hunting when it was a lottery than we do when you could just go buy a license over the counter. So it was kind of... Hmm. There's some... I think 
I think Mainers like to get involved in lotteries. You know, I think they wanted to win a lottery, even yeah. if it was a turkey lottery, to get a hunting license. Well, it implied it was uh, yeah. limited. Yeah, you know, exactly. you're, you're special. Exactly. You're special. And huh. uh, that's interesting. So we had that going, and then when we did away with the lottery, we did see the number of uh, licenses trickle down because you know the novelty of the population worn off uh, of the hunt. I think people realize it's not as easy a hunt as. See all these birds every day in John Smith's field, and you go out on opening day, and there's twelve other guys with pickup trucks there, and you realize, <laughs> well, this isn't as fun as I thought it was yeah. going to be. So we lost people that way, and then we then we made it such that landowners that qualified uh, as providing good turkey habitat out of the goodness of their heart, by virtue of the fact that they own 25 acres or more of agricultural land, could hunt without a permit. You know, so those people dropped out, and we didn't know how many of those there were. But so they were still hunting. They were still hunting, but so they no longer needed a hunting license. So, you don't so have any we lost them. And yeah. so this is I just a long answer to your question about the number of hunters appear to be down. Some of it's the artifact of not requiring some people to purchase a license anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the difference between hunting in the fall, see, in the spring you're talking about calling the yeah, toms. Yeah. What do you do in the fall? In the fall, I'm, I guess I could say I've never participated in it. I, I love the spring hunt. It's something to do in May. I look forward to wild turkeys, fiddleheads, and smelt every May. <laughs> I just... just That's it's your heaven. Per, it, it is. I love it. <laughs> the first week of May is just incredible before the bugs come out. The fall hunt is is. It's a different, totally different hunt where, and it's even, you can even use dogs for this. You're a veterinarian. You kind of get excited about this perhaps, but there are turkey dogs where what you do, yeah, what you do is you take your turkey dog, if you have one, and you go for a walk in the woods and you let your turkey dog use his or her nose. And if you find a flock of birds, you let him or her, your little dog, just go nuts and break the break the flock up you're just scattering these uh, hen turkeys and their young in every possible compass direction and then you gather your dog back up if you can and set him down somewhere and then you use calls that uh, are referred to as assembly calls these these little turkeys do not want to be alone they miss mom already and it's only been minutes and so you call with a series of calls that uh, try to get these flocks back together as if, you know, your dog was a coyote or something. They just want to get back together. So if you scatter these birds to the far reaches of the woods and just sit down and start calling, they'll come back to you. And uh, so that's one of one of the ways. And, and, and there's others where, you know, if you get a group of male birds that you maybe you don't want to shoot a hen or a poult, they're only nine pounds or something they're not very big if you'd rather shoot a male you have to locate these male groups these bachelor groups and you have to maybe hunt them a little more like a deer understand their movements a little bit try to intercept them but but they will come to a call too because the critters are so social i um some, had some relatives in pennsylvania which yeah. is a big turkey state too yeah, absolutely that they would uh, sit near a old a big beech tree yeah and just wait for them to come wow that's <laughs> fun it's 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 more like deer hunting in that case where you spend countless boring hours watching squirrels and hoping your game's going to come by but the spring is a lot more interactive because you can talk to a tom turkey a quarter mile away and if you get him coming in they 
when they're gobbling on their way in if if you're lucky enough to entice one it, it's just the woods just rock with their their call it's amazing it's that's amazing. cool it's a lot of fun so where do you see the program in the next five years next 10 years yeah. what, are, what are you guys planning good, good question you got about a minute to one minute, one minute uh, and a half. We're taking it. We're taking it in a whole different direction. We figure we've been restoration dealing with nuisance birds for thirty years, and we we need to manage it more like it's here to stay. We need better data on the status of the population, so we're actually starting a big research project this fall with a grad student at the University of Maine, uh, looking to to understand more of the life history of the wild turkey in Maine. You can read all the data you want from turkey books on how many eggs they have and what they do, but it's more fun to study them here in Maine uh, with radio telemetry. And, and what we need is a better better handle on numbers. Uh, people want to know how many turkeys we have, and so we need to generate uh, data such that we can estimate the population better. So that's your your goal now yep. is to get a better handle on population, yep. and they'll give you a better handle on management. Yeah, and where they are too. Yeah, exactly. And there are some areas of the state where people are convinced that we really need to set the population back, and uh, and there are other states, uh, other areas of the state where the hunters or the landowners would like to see more. So we still have a little of that to do. Well. Believe it or not, we're out of time. <laughs> okay. You wouldn't think so, but uh, Brad Allen, a wildlife biologist, uh, talking about turkey restoration. Thank you for coming by, spending time, because yeah. I know you got to beat feet up to, up to the county. Up to the county. God's country. So thank you all for listening. A happy Thanksgiving. This is Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras, Dr. John Hunt. Until next time, take care. <laughs>